unscripted. Each episode is available to view on YouTube, so be sure to check us out. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Thanks for listening and enjoy the show. When Alma talks about wanting to be banished, both soul and body, that was me. He wanted to be buried beneath the mountains, that was me. And then when he cries to Jesus, uh, that was me as well. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Saints Unscripted. It's just me today. Um, and no, that isn't necessarily because coronavirus. Uh, I was actually invited on here to, uh, I wanted to share a little bit more about my conversion story with you guys. Um, and just sort of why I don't think that I could ever leave the gospel, even if I try, uh, I don't think that I could, that I could ever. And so I want to share a little bit of my experience behind why that is. First of all, a conversion is different than a testimony. Um, I was born and raised in the church, uh, so I grew up with a lot of different aspects of testimony. Uh, for example, I had a testimony of prayer. Uh, I had a testimony of uh, the, of God. I knew that He that He was there, that He lived. Um, I had a testimony of the Holy Ghost, but I can't really say that I had a a, a testimony per se because I'd never had an experience with. Uh, Jesus Christ specifically. Um, I had had a lot of experiences with the Holy Ghost, and because I prayed to God all the time, I, I, I kind of had them down, and I, I believed in Jesus Christ, but I never really had like a an experience with him. But I think that came when I was about 17 years old. And so my conversion started about that time, when I, when I turned 17. So a few things you need to know about 17-year-old me. First of all, I was a I was a kid going to an LDS private school. Uh, my parents ran the school. We had a, an honor code system similar to BYU, which means that if you do certain things even outside of school, uh, you could be expelled. Um, I basically spent the previous four years not talking to anybody. Uh, I went through middle school and the beginning of high school with mostly no friends. I, I didn't talk very much. I was very socially awkward, still am socially awkward, but I was more so back then. And because of that, I wasn't accustomed to uh, attention. I wasn't accustomed to being liked by people. But all of that suddenly changed because I went through this weird transformation when I was 17 uh, where I started, uh, I joined the choir. And the, the previous couple years, I had joined the dance team. And suddenly when you're in a school as small as mine, if you're part of any of those organizations, you're basically singing and dancing in front of a lot of people. Um, so I was singing, I had solos in choir performances. I, I danced the lead part in our yearly Michael Jackson thriller performance. Um, and I began to be known and it started like people thought, at least I thought, I thought I was a hot stack of pancakes, basically. I thought I was pretty cool. Uh, it went to my head a lot, I think. And I call it my ego trip phase. Um, because in spite of the fact that I had grown up with testimonies of God, I, uh, I started to walk away from that. Um, because at, at a certain point during this ego trip phase, I also got a girlfriend, as teenagers often do. And when we started dating, I remember the... And people, this is a stereotype thing, and people mock this all the time on social media, but it, it actually happened to me. Uh, the spirit told me 
that I couldn't be dating her. Uh, it was extremely strong, very, very clear. And I had been like the goody two-shoes my whole life. I'd been always done exactly what I should be doing. Um, I was nicknamed the angel child by my siblings. They were sore afraid, and the angel said unto them, Fear not. And uh, at this point, I was kind of sick of it. And so I had this thought that was, I'm allowed to be a stupid teenager at least once. Which, yes, technically you are, but I wouldn't recommend thinking that way. I wouldn't recommend that as a life philosophy. Um, and I didn't see any harm in it. So I ignored it, and the spirit instantly stopped talking to me. Um, and that was, uh, that was really new. That was different for me. Um, but anyway, because of that, you fast forward a number of months, and as you can imagine, uh, me and this girl, we ended up making mistakes. Um, we went a little bit too far, and uh, I, we ended up breaking up because of it. It was this really long, dramatic, awful experience, and for about a solid year, um, I wouldn't consider myself worthy. I, uh, I was terrified. Um, I, this was probably the darkest period of my life, um, and that alone was a testimony builder that God existed to me because he was now completely absent. And if you want to know whether or not God is real, just wait until, you know, he's gone. But that didn't mean that I started making the right choices. I was, because my parents ran the school and we had an honor code, I could get expelled for, um, for the mistakes that we had made. And so I never even spoke to my parents about it. I couldn't talk to my friends about it because if word got around that, you know, the principal's son had broke the honor code and didn't get expelled, well, that could cause some bad publicity for the school with the parents because rumors travel fast in small schools. Um, so I didn't tell anybody. Uh, I didn't tell my bishop. Didn't say anything. I stopped praying, stopped reading the scriptures because I guess when, when you know what God's already going to say, you don't want to hear it anymore. And uh, so I stopped doing everything. I began to be afraid of going to church. I would sleep in late, uh, specifically to miss the sacrament. Um, I would uh, go to school late to miss the morning devotionals that we would have and the spiritual thoughts because I didn't want to get caught up in saying the prayer or sharing this thought. I'm late for school! And uh, so I was just late to everything intentionally. And I think people sort of started to notice a difference, but I was... I felt like I was pretty good at acting like it wasn't a problem. Um, so I put off like I was okay, but inside I was just hollow. And the longer it went on, the harder it got. Um, and I wasn't ever suicidal per se, um, but the only reason for that, I think, is because I was afraid to die. Because let's say you die and you find yourself in the presence of God, that's exactly where I didn't want to be. And uh, so death was counterproductive to me. Um, the fear of the possibility of there being an afterlife. And uh, so I just, I just stuck it out. But it felt like there was a physical effect. Um, it started, I started to feel really heavy 
in my chest. It felt like those chains, like actual chains, like Jacob Marley chains that I was just dragging around everywhere. What are these terrible chains? Oh, the chains! It really, really affected me. Um, I remember very clearly there was a long period of time where I would wake up in the mornings and my first thought was the fear of possibly dying that day and having to face everything. Uh, because I believed uh, 110% that, uh, that God hated me. And I think part of that um, comes from just general misunderstanding in the church. I think it's at least where I grew up and with the people um, that I grew up with, bishops and teachers and people who said certain things in certain ways, always made me feel like, yeah, God loves you until you sin. Um, and that's what made me the most afraid, is that this, this being who I had come to know and love growing up, who I had I'd actually had a lot of experiences with the Holy Ghost and with my Heavenly Father, and I felt like we were even friends. Um, and then to feel like I was no longer his friend uh, was really difficult. And this went on for, uh, for quite a while. And I look back and it seems like it was longer. It's, it's amazing to me that it only went as long as it did. Um, but ultimately, I ended up getting a phone call from the ward executive secretary, inviting me to come in that night and meet with the bishop. And I don't want, I didn't want to draw attention to myself, so I was like, yeah, yeah, I'll come. And I think part of me really wanted to talk about it because um, I didn't try too hard to get out of this appointment. And, uh, but I was terrified beyond all belief. Um, and talking to a bishop about this kind of thing can be pretty scary. I know exactly how that feels. Um, but the scariest part about it is just everything leading up to it. Sitting outside the bishop's office is probably the scariest part of the whole experience. But I remember sitting in the, in the bishop's office and he, all he asked me was, well, Taylor, how you been? And I remember I, I laughed for a second and then I was quiet. And I was quiet for about five seconds. And that whole five seconds, I was debating it whether or not I was going to lie to him. And the silence went, lo went long enough, I think, that he knew the answer already. Uh, but I still ended up just telling him, you know, I'm not doing that great. And uh, the meeting only lasted another 10 minutes, I think. Um, but I just, it's like I had been sick for a whole year, and then I just vomited it all out. I told him everything, basically. Uh, I told him the whole tragic tale of Taylor's tissue issues, I guess, uh, that was my experience for the past year. And he told me that, uh, that it's behind me now, um, that I've been, you know, torturing myself for long enough. It's, it's long enough in the past, like, Let's let's move on. Let's let's move forward from this point. Let's let's work this out. And I met with him uh, almost weekly after that. Uh, but after that, I went home and I immediately told my parents. And 
by the way, uh, it's the best feeling in the world to talk about this stuff with somebody. Um, somebody who at least who understands, who, who's willing to listen. Uh, it's not nearly as scary as you probably think it is. Uh, the conversation with my parents was a lot shorter than I expected, and it was a lot better than I expected. Uh, I did not end up getting expelled. Um, but I remember that night I went downstairs after talking to my parents, and I prayed for the first time in like a year. And it was probably the greatest feeling of my life. Uh, it's like I, I literally felt like I'd become a new person, like I had dropped something on the floor, um, like all those chains that I had been carrying. It's like I dropped them on the floor and stood up for the first time without the chains. And if you've ever actually done that, you carry a weight around for a really long time and then you walk around without it, you feel like you can fly. It's exactly how it felt. Uh, and the next few weeks were probably the best weeks of my life. I was filled with this feeling of love uh, that translated itself to other people. I started praying every night for every person I could think of. And I, I would, I th specifically, I remember, I remember asking Heavenly Father, I wanted him to bless me uh, to see people the way that he sees them because I wanted to serve people. And it felt dumb to ask for service opportunities because service opportunities are everywhere. You just need the eyes to see them. And so that's what I, that's what I asked for. I asked to see life, see things the way that God sees them so I could see those opportunities. And I was so happy for this whole period of time. And I remember one day in the hallway... I was standing at my lock, and I was approached by a good friend of mine. His name is Jackson, and he was from Korea. Uh, and he's always a jokester. Like, he never said anything serious. And one day he came up to me, and he's like, Taylor, I need to tell you something. And he sounded really serious. And so I was like, sure, what is it? He's like, <laughs> he's like I'm not gay, but I love your eyes. I, I, I think I, I laughed because it was, it was funny to me because this was Jackson. And I was like, why do you like that? And he says, because in them there is so much kindness. And uh, and I remember giving him a hug and saying thank you and just walking to class. And I, I laughed on the way to class because it resonated with me that they weren't really my eyes that he was seeing. Uh, that I was no longer just myself. Like I was, I was myself plus... Uh, plus the Lord. Um, and uh, I, I felt it, like it was this constant relationship. It was this constant dialogue between me and, and Christ. And it was exactly like what you would read in Alma 36. Um, when Alma talks about wanting to be banished, both soul and body, that was me. He wanted to be buried beneath the mountains, that was me. And then when he cries to Jesus, uh, that was me as well. Um, when he feels that all he wants to do is now be in the presence of God, that was me. And I learned from this whole experience that without a doubt, I can say that, uh, that God lives. Um, second was that repentance is the best thing that I've ever done. People are afraid of repentance. There's a, a negative connotation with the word, but repentance is joyful. It's relieving. It's liberating. Uh, there's nothing better than you can do than to repent. Um, talking to the bishop is not as scary as you think it is. And ultimately, like above all, uh, I formed a relationship with my Savior. And I got to know 
him. And that relationship carried me through the mission field, carried me through uh, the starving period that I call it in my college years, uh, carried me through everything, every awful thing since then. Um, and I could never walk away from a faith in God, from a faith in the gospel, um, because that relationship, that it's been entrenched so deep in me that even if I wanted to, even if I tried, I, I could probably never walk away. Um, and so that, that was my, my converting experience when I became somebody different. I didn't just have a testimony anymore. I became a different person because of it. And so if any of these things resonated with you, I would encourage uh, anybody out there who's ever wondered, uh, just go talk to the bishop. It's not as scary as you think it is. Um, and uh, the Lord is waiting for you. He does not hate you. At no point did he ever stop loving you. At no point did God ever stop loving me. Uh, he was just waiting for me to come. I have no idea why the bishop called me in that night. Probably to give me a calling or something. But in my opinion, I think God was just tired of waiting for me. <laughs> and he wanted me back so much that he just, he's like, let's get this kid a bishop interview. <laughs> um, and so I testify that God loves you no matter what. And that uh, no matter what you've done, no matter how far you've gone, no matter how many times you've done it, it starts over uh, every day. It starts over when you, when you call out to Christ. Um, once you start along that path, everything, everything else falls away. And uh, I'll leave that with you in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Thanks for listening. Thanks for waiting out this whole thing. It's probably way longer than it was supposed to be, but uh, I, hope, I hope you enjoyed it. I hope it meant something to you. Thanks for listening. If you want to watch our videos, check us out on YouTube or shoot us a message on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter.